0: The Tea stop In podcast series is inspired by the memory of the last surviving founder of the Australian Cinematographer Society, my friend, the late John Leake ACS. When he and his wife Marion retired from the film industry, they bought a little motel outside Sydney, and it became a tradition for cinematographers and other filmmakers to stop in and have relaxed conversations about the industry and the craft of cinematography. It earned the nickname of the Tea stop In. This series sets out to recapture the spirit of those conversations. But this time, we're inviting you to listen in. The T Stop In. I'm Ben Allen, and welcome back to Season 4 of The T Stop In, brought to you with the support of MZ Online Training and ARI Australia. Over the last few months, I've been away from the podcast microphone and shooting the feature film Dark Noise just outside Sydney. It's been an amazing and challenging process shooting a movie in the COVID world, so I'll be looking forward to telling you more about it in an upcoming episode. But this time I'm speaking with an Australian cinematographer who really needs no introduction. Greg Fraser, ACS, ASC, is without question one of the top cinematographers of our generation in the world, and he's currently leading the way with some of the most significant technological changes that are happening in the industry. I spoke with Greg via Skype from his home in Los Angeles before his recent win at the Emmy Awards. Greg, welcome to the T-Stop In. Thank
1: you for having me. Good to talk to you.
0: I've been looking forward to this for, for quite a while because... Years ago when we were, we were both doing commercials in Melbourne and I think, you know, we were working with a lot of the same crews and some of the same facilities and production companies. Your work really kind of jumped out at me initially with a, an amazing little short film that I saw called Cracker Bag. Oh, yeah. I haven't heard those words for a while. <laughs> no. Even just thinking about it now, it's years ago. I mean, we must be talking 15, 16 years ago.
1: You know what? I think it was 2003. So wow. yeah, do, you, do the 17s. figures on that.
0: And it really was a stunningly beautiful film. Thank you,
1: thank you. Uh, I must say, was, there was a very, very enjoyable experience. I got to work with a very good buddy of mine, Glendon Ivan, and you know that's it's effectively a film about his an experience in his childhood. And mm. you know we 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 basically beg, borrowed and stole a film stock <laughs> off you know all the directors. It's a classic, you know. Back yeah. in the day, you know, um borrowing cameras off Panavision and you know, just doing our darndest to try and make this movie and you know, it's just a, a little little film that could, you know, it's like the it just had so much heart and yeah. the casting was so great. I mean London, you know, he's he's done some incredible stuff and mm. that was a just, just a joy to just to what and to make. But even
0: just the fact that it it did what it did, yeah, you know, it was yeah. was fantastic. I mean, it was a wake to Khan, among others, didn't it? Well, yeah, one a Palm Door, so it's not bad.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's pretty pretty good for um, for one of the, your earlier earlier efforts, and, and for him, I think it just helps him launch his his confidence as a director. And he, you know, he's, he's a he's amazing his springboard greatest. for him, wasn't it? Yeah, you know, it was very much enjoyable. But but, but do you know what was great about it? And I and I I didn't necessarily notice this at the time or feel this at the time, but I mean. I, I love shooting in Melbourne. You know, like Melbourne yeah. is is uh, a place where I grew up, so it's got all the great memories and all the bad memories. Like it's got the entire, <laughs> you know, runs the gamut of my childhood. And so, being able to shoot in Melbourne was really quite fun. I mean, I would love to go back to Melbourne and, and do something else. We, we did a bit of lion in London. Yeah, another. Um, sorry,
0: another Melbourne, Melbourne, film. sorry, Melbourne. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Yeah. See, I came into Melbourne as an outsider. Coming into to work, and you know, I just had wonderful, wonderful experiences there as well. It was just, um, you know, the 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 crews and the facilities and everything down there. It's it's a it's a wonderful place to shoot. There's a there's a nice kind of attitude I find in Melbourne. Yeah,
1: it's no bullshit, isn't it? It's yep. it's, it's exactly. nice. It's no bullshit mentality. It's 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 good. I mean, there's a lot of debates in Melbourne v Sydney and all that fun stuff. But I don't know. <laughs> Melbourne's got something something real about it. It so. does. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, no, it's good. I'm glad. Well, I'm glad you enjoyed that. So it's good to talk about back because I haven't, I haven't um, thought about that. or seen that
0: thing in a long time, and it's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's cute. It's really yeah, cute. Yeah, no, it's, it's a great little film, and it's very memorable. So, you know, what's the journey between doing a beautiful little short film and TV commercials and stuff in Melbourne to doing Star Wars in Hollywood? I don't know. It's <laughs> <interesting>. <laughs> like. <laughs>
1: Nothing. Nothing specifically. Like it feels to me. And again, maybe I'm maybe because I've got my head down and my bum up the whole whole way, (laughs) so it's impossible to kind of see the see the bigger picture. But to me, it felt feels like it felt like every single step was just a little baby step forward. Now, obviously, there are certain key steps forward. You go, all right, doing Star Wars is a good step forward and it's maybe it's a little bit bigger than a small step forward but maybe not maybe not maybe you know I've done I, I, I've done a similar size movie before and that didn't happen to be star wars mm. um mm. you know I, I worked with some amazing directors some amazing Australian directors you know um you know Scott Hicks and and Jane Campion who also also Jane Campion is a kiwi and not an Australian but um you know we will 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 take of we'll we'll own, we'll, we'll take a we'll, we'll own any kiwi. successful kiwi that's right. Yeah, um, and there are a lot of really good, successful periods. Absolutely. So, you know, having the opportunity to work with those great directors and Glendon on his his feature debut as well. Yeah. Um. So it feels like, feels like, and again, I'm happy to be told wrong or told proven wrong, but that every step was kind of just a was just a, a nice step forward. You know, we mm. my wife and I moved to Los Angeles in 2009. Um. And that was, I think we're both, uh, you know, nomads, both travellers. We're both yeah. kind of gypsies of sorts. and Which helps and a lot in this industry. Oh, yeah, it really does. It really does. So I think at that point in Australia, we were like, you know what, let's go and see the world. Like, we'd, we'd both travelled before. <laughs> yeah. We both lived out of the country for a little while, but we were like, you know what, let's just go and live in LA. It's, we lived by the beach. We, you know, lived in Venice Beach, mm-hmm. overlooking the ocean, um, in a little tiny little apartment, like, we just kind of seeing the world and seeing yeah. what we could, um, see what the world could give us and what we could give back to the world. So we landed mm-hmm. here and it's just it was eye-opening because it, what it allowed is th- this is where the centre of the film business is. And mm. um, it just it felt like everything funnels through Los Angeles, which means you then have the opportunity in Los Angeles to, to work on on even bigger, I can't say about size, like size is literally irrelevant budget and stuff is literally irrelevant. But when I say bigger, I'm, I'm talking like bigger ideas yeah, or, yeah. Or, 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 or bigger music videos. You know, mm. like, uh, I mean, I was fortunate enough to do some really interesting commercials and, and, you know, uh, some interesting music videos that had the just enough budget to do something that was you could never have done in Sydney or Melbourne. You know, yeah, yeah. there was a, there was a cap, unfortunately, on the music videos the budgets. So that that cap was was, was increased. So you, you allow yourself to to, to spend more days shooting,
0: or finesse more, or to do more, or to build a set and burn it down, or whatever the hell you to do. So it's, it's something that I think comes up a lot that with with bigger budgets you, you just get more ambitious. Yes. Okay. Yeah, well, how far do. can we push this? How much can we squeeze out of those extra dollars? That, exactly.
1: And you know that that for for an Australian who's work who's used to working on the smell of an oily rag, <laughs> to, to be able to bring that, and this yeah. is why I think Australians in general. Again, I, you know, I, I lump Kiwis in with us. Yeah. I apologize for the Kiwis <laughs> listening. But, but any activity can – like we, we work on the of and oily rag and we, we can eke out some good, interesting stuff with not very many resources. Yep. So when, as Australians, we come to, to the, 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 the center of the filmmaking universe mm. and we can eke out amazing results with what we have – and we can order less lights than they budgeted for, or you can order less this and less crew or less, you know, whatever it is. Yeah, yeah. Then it's impressive because ultimately every dollar that you spend on a bit of your own kit, you're taking away from the director spending time with an actor or the director spending on a on a special effect. or So if you can moderate that and not, yep. not be a miser, because if you can't write an actor properly, then you've done a disservice to the actor. Yeah. But – if you can really finesse your spending and your, your your expense, it means you've got a greater thing. And I think Australians are really good at that. So mm. um, I think coming to Los Angeles in 2009, again, it, it was just a next logical step. And it's not about where you live, because listen, I I could have lived in Sydney to do it, but we love the lifestyle. You know, sunny, yeah. near the beach, like. I mean, it's it's <laughs> it's a it's a good lifestyle choice. So um, that matched in with 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 ambition, you know. Yeah. Anyway, it, it was just it was just an enjoyable progression to make, yeah. and not also forgetting about where we'd come from and our friends who we'd come up with. And a lot of my old buddies are um, making movies, like Glendon and and Garth Davis, you know, did Lion and Mary Magdalene.
0: We'll come back to to, to Garth obviously, but um, in those those first few years after you moved to LA, um, there was very quickly some some quite significant films there. I'm thinking things like Snow White and the Huntsman, Zero Dark Thirty. You know, really yep. substantial pieces of work. Yes, I mean
1: if, if you if you yes, if you're going to be, be be honest about it, you're you're absolutely right. Again, it didn't feel without wanting to sound. Um, like I was expecting any of it because I was. I didn't move <laughs> to America to be to 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 do that. That wasn't. I mean, I, I moved from to be challenged yeah. and to challenge yeah. myself and to do the best work that I could. So that that was the ultimate goal. It had nothing to do with doing massive movies. Had nothing to do with. It was just doing the best work that I could. Yeah, and yeah. and yes, you're right. Like I think the first film that I got here was a film called Let Me In, and that you know the the, the backstory in that is that all my Aussie mates like. Nash Edgerton tipped emailing me going, you've got to see this film, pull it the right one in, it's amazing. And, I'm, <laughs> and I'm, I'm a beach bum, I'm sitting on the beach, and I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm a bit lazy, and I didn't get a chance to see it until <laughs> one morning I wake up at 5am and there's an email from Matt Reeves saying, hey, I've got your email address, here's a script, uh, can you read it? And by 6 o'clock I'd read this entire script front to back. Wow. And was was emailing back going, I have to meet you on this. This is an amazing script. Um, <laughs> you know, to, 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 to do that helped me get into the union. Um, Which is a big step. Again, it is a big step. You know, I was already in the um, commercials union, I believe, there was two different unions. I had some really supportive, good people that helped me um, get into those unions. You know, doing that American film in in Albuquerque kind of helped me get into the uh, American union and and, and and then sort of progress on from there.
0: Mm. So, what was the experience of doing Zero Dark Thirty like?
1: It was amazing because I loved that story and yeah. I, the I, I was doing um, Snow White and the Huntsman at that particular point in time, and yep. and this is where you can you can ask my wife about it because she can read me better than I can read myself. And I was doing <laughs> Snow White, and Snow White was a was a long movie. It was. I don't know, eighty days or something. Yep. We were coming into winter, and I was—it was day seventy or something—and I'd met on a few other movies to do after Snow White and the Huntsman, and yep. um yeah, you know, they would have. I think Snow White was going to wrap in December, and I think I was meeting on movies that were going to start in February, March, or April. And and I was just, like, just coming home from the meetings, and Jodie was like, "How was it?" And I was like, "Yeah, yeah, meeting was good." And she's like. You don't want to do it, do you? And I'm like, nah, I, yeah, I do, but like, yeah. I'm exhausted and yeah. I can't get my mind into it. And that was uh, two or three films, and then I got sent the script for Zero Dark Thirty, mm. and I did the meeting with Catherine on on the phone. Yeah, and I got off the phone, and she's like, "How was it?" I was like, "It's amazing, and it's really great." And she's like. You're gonna do it. You wanna do it. And I'm like, you know what? I, I had this re, resurgence of energy. Like yeah. it was amazing wow. how I was exhausted making so much announcement. But the second that I read that, that I knew that was the film that was going to be the next movie. I was like full of beans again. It, it was very. Um, uh, it was very telling about how my energy ebbs and flows, and it's not necessarily based on a. On physicality, it's a, it's a, it's an adrenaline, and it's a, it's an emotional uh, connection to a story, yeah. um, that actually propels me energetically. It's, it's physically obviously, as you get older, you, you need to be look after yourself because it's energy is an important thing.
0: Mm. Um, but, but And it's probably something that's not talked about enough. There is something extraordinary mm-hmm. about you read a good script and you talk to an inspiring director and, you know, there's a lot of energy to be taken from that.
1: Oh, and I knew exactly how I should look and it should be. You know, it was, it wow. was as clear as day. I mean, it, obviously, I, before I formed an opinion of how it should look, uh, I spoke to Catherine about how she wanted to act, how she wanted to do it. Yep. Uh, and Catherine's a really great collaborator. Like she's, she's never one to go, you have to have this many cameras and you have to do it like this and you have to do that. Yeah. Like, but what she expressed to me is that she wanted flexibility and freedom for her actors. And she wanted to be, you know, I saw the Hurt Locker. So I saw, I saw the style of film that she was making at, the, at yeah, that point in time. Yeah. Um, and we talked about the best way to give it a cinematic quality, yet still give it the energy of the Hurt Locker and the way that
0: she wants to shoot. Um, and it it definitely feels like it's it's a product of the same director as the Hurt Locker, and yet yeah. visually it's it's definitely its own thing as well.
1: Totally, and you know I think the Hurt Locker was such a fantastic movie because yeah. that camera was dr- helping drive the drama mm. because you know you've got a guy defusing bombs. I mean, it's a pretty simple. Premise. I mean, yep. and not the whole movie. Like, it's more complicated than that. But some of the scenes where he's diffusing bombs and there's people watching, and the, and there's you know, is it is it or isn't that going to go off? And like the camera work in that was instrumental
0: in helping create tension and the mood. Um, and that kind of camera movement, can it so easily go wrong? and yes. And I think both in, in Hurt Locker and in its own way then in Zero Dark Thirty didn't go wrong. What's your take on when it, when it really works, when it gels?
1: In, fil- in filmmaking, it's very hard to know where to stop. Like it's, yeah. you can air a drama scene. If there's somebody having a really bad, hard time, a director who d- doesn't quite have the understanding of, Good drama might overreg it, and then the actor might be crying, 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 crying. And you, you like at some point, you start losing um momentum and emotion for that character because they're over acting or overplaying. Or, yeah. and, and, and the lighting you, you can make a a scene too beautiful when you light it, you can make yeah. it too pretty, too perfect. You know, it could be backlit and everything, and it could be suddenly like, like, look like saccharin. Um, <laughs> if you've got a, yeah. a story like the Hurt Locker, which you know, that camera and the momentum and the zoom ins and the this and the multi angles and the cutaways and yep. you know that helps add uh, tension yeah. on something like Zero Dark Thirty, which is um, a, a lot more complicated in its storytelling, like there's a lot more to get through with with Zero Dark. There's so many little bits of information that you need to capture that it's important to make sure that those are rammed home and the audience doesn't become overly uh, confused or it's just not so much to look at, you know. So that's where a good editor... And Zero Dark had two very fine
0: answers on it, to be the arbiters with Catherine of how, how to pace the, the camera work. In that context and all that stuff going on, how did that then inform your approach to lighting that film?
1: Okay, so there's there's, a, there's two films in the film. There's the there's, yeah. the there's the procedural aspects of the movie of, you know, the evidence that they got, how they presented it, how they got it. Like, that's the procedural aspect of the movie. Yep. And then there's the raid. So, you know, the, the raid occurs as the, you know, as the as, the, as the, the crux of the whole film effectively. This is where the film has to tie itself up in a nice little bow. Yep. So the, the procedural part of the movie needed to be natural, uh, needed to be not too bland because, you know, people sitting at desks looking at screens can be <laughs> really boring. Um, yep. You know, we needed to create... Mood through different times of day, different different mood on her. Um, Jessica, that is. We needed to create some interesting light in the waterboarding scenes. That that again, it didn't. It didn't want to. Never. I mean, I never want to do anything that's too telling of a character. You know, you, it, you know, the old days where you you know shooting vampire movies back in the forties. You'd uplight. <laughs> you know the the vampire and yeah, can yeah. create big shadows in the wall and I mean this is that that's a, that's a way to do it but that's not a, a modern way of 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 telling a bad guy story you know yeah yeah you want it, you want to be a bit more subtle with that and well we did anyway so yeah you wanted to not say anything good or bad about the interrogators or, or the interrogatees. like I didn't want to sort of put a label on any of these characters that would have been too. Um, to telling mm. of
0: what the film, filmmakers' intentions were. So you wanted to let the audience kind of find that on their own? Yeah, obviously it's filmmaking and yeah. the, 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 the filmmakers are pushing you
1: in a direction through edits and through yeah. how long you stay on on Maya's face looking distraught. I, you, you, you manipulate at every step of the way. So me saying we didn't want to manipulate is, is, is garbage because obviously you, you do manipulate You didn't want to do that, that too
0: filmmaking.
1: overtly. No, no. So... That was a, and also too, I wanted to make sure that we could shoot multi camera for a lot of the scenes. You know, with scenes mm-hmm. around board tables, brand uh, tables, people talking to each other. I wanted to multi cam it so that, you know, um, the editors could and the actors could over, overlap each other and, and the editors could find multiple angles. So therefore, it becomes a little bit documentary. Yep. But it's not docodrama. drama. It's, it's mm. like you have the ability for, for creating a a sense of immediacy and that you're you're in the moment. We, you know, Catherine and I originally mm. tested anamorphic lenses. We we wanted, yeah. we were going to use anamorphic lenses.
0: I can see the and, logic there.
1: And and Catherine just as we were, I think in the middle of a camera prep, yep. rang me. Uh, she goes, "We can't shoot anamorphic. This is got to be <laughs> spherical. This has got to be one eight five. It's spherical." Yeah, yeah. And I'm like. That's why you're paying the big bucks and you're absolutely (laughs) right. She's absolutely right because suddenly it it wasn't a cinematic film. It was a procedural movie that we had to treat um, with cinema, with cinema techniques and tricks. Through night vision, the end, through through lighting
0: scene quite dark, like, so, yeah, she was, uh, she was 100% right about that. And that's why yeah, absolutely. Because um, yeah. it, it kind of it made that cinematic quality more subtle, again, yeah, rather than being 100%. too overt.
1: 100%. And it means you could – she was right Alex. it. Cause it means yeah, she could yeah. push other things further and and um, she could push the drama further because she wasn't worried about the, the, the preface of the whole movie, the canvas of the whole movie um, wasn't pushing you in a direction. So, yeah, it was a, a – it was, a, it was a fun experience and, and hard hard as nails to shoot, tough. And, mm. you know, we're away from, I was away from a newborn for, for five months and wow. it was a, it was a, a tough, tough movie.
0: Tough movie. Yeah. You talked a little bit about emotion and, you know, being guided by the emotion and drawing on that. You know, that makes me think instantly of the film Lion. Yes. You talk about that balance of not making images too over the top beautiful it's a film that has a lot of really really beautiful and strikingly beautiful images in it but it doesn't cross that line either
1: yeah that was fully fully intentional you know garth is garth is a master at understanding tone and instinct he understands his instinct you know that he's fully in touch with his instinct when it comes to that stuff so working out where we tip the balance of it being too, I, mean, I wouldn't even use the word saccharin because nothing yeah. ever got saccharin. No. But but you, you can tip you can That's tip the, the yeah tip the balance just to touch too much. Mm. You know even from locations in in Tasmania of Saru's house and you know all these things. You know you can sort of push it a touch too far. I feel like
0: Gus very good at understanding those things. Again, it's one of those aspects of filmmaking that you're constantly kind of looking for the right balance, like. I think it's very easy early in your career to go, oh, I just want to make this as beautiful as possible and and push to the nth degree. and, and yep. then learning over time how far to pull that back uh, is quite a skill, isn't
1: it? It, it? it fully is. And one of the things that appealed to me about filmmaking was the limitations that that we have. Like as a photographer, you know I could spend I can set up a studio shot in my studio or in the school studio, and I could, shoot it, send the film out for processing the next day, come back, tweak a few things, shoot again, get the film back, change. You know, I could spend weeks on the sun in the same shot. And that did my head in. Like, I'll be honest with you, psychologically <laughs> that does my head in. Yeah, yeah. I love the fact that I've got a first AD with his hand on his, on his watch going, right. It's nine o'clock. We've been here an hour. And how are you doing with your lighting setup? Yeah. And yeah. I have to be, I'm a, I'm a, I'm accountable to somebody like, yeah. I'm accountable to the director when the actor's sitting there on set or ready to go and the director wants to get into it and I'm still setting a shot of lighting. Now, that doesn't <laughs> happen, I will say, very often. Yeah. Very rarely does that happen because, again, it's a challenge that you set yourself. It's like, it's like having a personal trainer when you're exercising. You're always yeah, going to do yeah. better when you've got someone saying, no, don't stop now, keep going, <laughs> do another 10. Yeah, yeah. You're always going to do that. So w- when you've got that... That pro- propel, propeller behind you, like nudging you along, it forces you to act faster. It forces you to act as a uh, with your subconscious. Oftentimes,
0: when you start, that leads you to something better, doesn't it?
1: It fully does because if you're if you're fully if you're prepared with your references and you know the world that you're building,
0: you can generally
1: land on the shot and the lighting fairly quickly. And this is where experience definitely helps. And I've gotten yeah. much better at this. Over the years, like, yeah, I remember being tied up in a knot a few times with a few lighting setups that I, you know, I'd, I'd researched how to do it and yeah. I, it failed and I was like, oh, <laughs> what do I do? I remember yeah, yeah. being in that world and, and experience for sure, for sure helps. But it, it's like the filmmaking process of being quick forces you to, to, to not f- uh,
0: finesse too much. Mm.
1: And I think as a DP, that's a
0: great thing. It's a great thing. It forces you to rely on skill and intuition at the same time. Uh,
1: Fully, fully. Um, Yeah, so that's where I think you can kind of not basically work too hard at every single frame. I actually think if you do, in the times that I have, I've always been a little bit disappointed. So... (laughs) The, the stuff where you're, you're working off instinct and – but you have little flourishes. Not to say yeah. you can't introduce flourishes.
0: Like, and you know, also you, shots you set in line. the parameters that you're working with.
1: Yeah. I mean, there, there are shots in line um, that, that we came across on the day and found. But, but there are also other shots that we, we've we been talking about. We set up for six months. Yeah, so, wow. you know, a combination of those two situations – where you're, you know, and, and how do we, let's say we'd set up a shop for six months or plan a shot for six months. Yep. And we arrived there on the day or the night and saw a better shot. Well, it would have taken the better shot or yep. a more appropriate shot. Mm-hmm. So it, it's kind of a, like following a plan when, When it's the best thing, or not following
0: a plan when it's the best thing. Yeah. And another one of my my memories of your name is I I was doing some teaching with FX PhD and Mike Seymour said to me one day, Gareth and Greg are gonna do a Star Wars film. Yeah, they're gonna do a Star they've been hired to do a Star Wars film. How did that happen? What's the other side of that story? Well, I've known Gareth's work for a while because he did a film called
1: Monsters. Yeah. And he did most of it. He shot it. He kind yeah. of, he did the visual effects on it. Amazing. Um, I mean, the guy, the, to, to attempt that, <laughs> the guy's got balls the size of, like, my soccer balls outside. Yeah. Like, he's he, he's got um, so much guts and so much desire to, to, to make something his way. That he just went out and did it. Yeah. And I reckon yeah. that's really commendable because it's hard. It's hard. It's hard. And no of ways about it. Nah. So <laughs> I saw that movie. I saw the process he went through and I'm like, dude, my hat's off to you because that's yep. a really great thing. He then did a film called uh, Godzilla, which I didn't see. And then I got a call. I got a call to come and do a meeting about me meet on, on a new Star Wars film that Gareth was directing.
0: Yeah.
1: And I kind of was – um Okay, so Star Wars is a big deal for me as a kid, right? So I've yeah. got a certain <laughs> like amount certain of my memory business. wrapped up, wrapped up in Star Wars, yeah. and you know, Saturday mornings just rewinding certain scenes and I'm watching them again and again and again. Yep. And so I was like, man, yeah, you know what? I, I don't know if me doing a Star Wars film would be a great idea because <laughs> I, I don't I don't really see a world where. I could make anything not better, but I couldn't. I'm gonna just destroy some of my childhood memories yeah, if I, yeah. if I'm standing on set and I'm and I'm um, you know wrangling Darth Vader, who I know is not you know is a guy in a suit and anyway you know all that stuff. So I had all these mixed feelings about. About doing it, or at least meeting it. But but I was at least going to meet because I yep. had to meet Gareth and the people at Lucasfilm. I heard were fantastic, and I just wanted to meet and say hi. Yep. So I was in there, and yeah, I was in there meeting, and he uh, within about 15 minutes after showing me the some of the concept art, I was like, I, I have to do this movie, <laughs> and I, I I have to because I had such a strong vision for it.
0: Yes, yeah.
1: <laughs> like it was it was just it was mind blowing how I went from being I'm not sure I should be doing a star Wars movie, but I, I need to do the meeting. I'd like to do the meeting yep. to, I absolutely categorically have to do a star Wars movie. So at that point there was a bit of a clash with, with Lion, And so it, it was possibly going to not work out for me to do a star Wars movie. Cause I was, wow. I was going to do Lion with Garth and, yep. you know, but it, it ended up working out stuff pushed and changed and, and ended up working. And it was a great year to do, to start the year by doing lion, and then to end the year <laughs> by doing Star Wars, it was a
0: dream, dream year. It's. I mean, it would be hard to top that, wouldn't it? Yeah, it would
1: be hard. I mean, you know, I've been very fortunate in my in my life, and and that that year was fantastic. I got a, I had a dream film with my my buddy doing a, a, a beautiful movie in India, yeah. um, and I finished the movie. Yeah, the, the end by 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 doing a Star Wars thing. So,
0: the other interesting thing about Rogue one is it it's Star Wars, but it's it was the the first outside of the 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 main storyline. One of the things I love about what you guys achieved with that is it it feels like Star Wars through and through. yeah, but it feels different. It doesn't feel like it's imitating that main storyline. It feels like it's it's its own part of that world, but it's still part of that same world. How did you go about that?
1: With any movie, you surround yourself with references and Mm. you surround yourself with mood and feel and and movies that you watch. And that becomes the language. And and what I do is I try and shut out any visual influences that are, that are not the film that I'm making. So I don't watch Mm. movies when I'm making a movie. Um, yeah. unless I, unless it's a reference movie for that yep. movie, I don't go and see movies. And every time I have gone to see a movie, it's always backfired where I've mm. I've made mistakes on the set and I've changed the wrong lenses and stuff. I've, yeah. I've just made it a thing. I don't go, I just don't go and see movies.
0: And I don't study photography books unless they're for the film. Because so, that stuff can influence you so subconsciously, can't it? Oh, fully. No, fully. I mean,
1: there's a story that I, I, I t- tell and I told Roger Deakins this, but I was doing Foxcatcher. And the primary lenses were 40, 50, 75. Yep. I went and saw Skyfall at the cinema <laughs> in Pittsburgh. And Monday morning, I turn up and I asked the, the, the assistant to put a 32 on a, on a finder. And he went, hey,
0: What's what happened to you?
1: <laughs> Yeah, like, what happened on the weekends? And I went, I oh, no, know, 32 feels right in here. Wow. And he went, okay, here's a 32. And I looked at it and I went... It's so not right. But <laughs> again, I was influenced
0: by Roger That's fantastic. that
1: he used on Skyfall. Yeah, and it was yeah.
0: subconscious. I didn't even realise it until after the and fact. Was, and then you know the thirty-two is so right for Skyfall, but yeah, it's that makes so much sense. Getting thrown by that. So, yeah. so
1: with with Star Wars and with Rogue One, we we already had immersed ourselves in Star Wars because yep. he was a he was a freak fan and I was a freak fan, and you know we 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 had kind of immersed ourselves in episodes four and five and six, you know, yes. four and five primarily. We were less fanny about the, the prequels and, and less yep. fanny about the spin-offs. Or you know, the the, um, the the cartoons and the animations and all that. It yep. was more. So, so, we so you went much back to this, the ones that we all grew up with. Well, yeah, because that's what, I mean, at, at the age of six, when you're watching A New Hope 50 yep. times in a, on a weekend, <laughs> it, it, it does something to you. It, 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 it leaves, in a, leaves a mark. Yeah. yeah we went back to those and we sort of re reacquainted uh, ourselves with those movies, but we, we also didn't want to copy those films. We didn't want to say, well, this is what George would have done. This is what we're going to do. Like we, yep. we're modern filmmakers and he did monsters all handheld, um, you know, and, and love a bit of handheld the reportage at times. And, yep. but also love some classic Spielbergian yeah. um, camera moves. Mm, mm. And so, we try to use some visual language from A New Hope, and but also interject some modern filmmaking techniques, so to to, to yeah. help the audience can probably feel some of that original film in there. But also, you know, in the last the last sequence is a good one: the introduction of Vader, oh, not the introduction, the Vader in the end, yeah. where you know it's a, it's a still shot. We're pushing in on the guys who are waiting, like that's the same shot that, that was in A New Hope when. Yeah. Um, yeah. When the guys are waiting, we were trying really hard again not to replicate, but but to 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 have rhyming visual memory of mm. the guys in a new hope waiting for the door to get broken down. Yep. In before the stormtroopers come in, and then them waiting for Vader, like in in Rogue One, where you know they're they're watching. We start pushing in, we're seeing this guy, seeing that guy, looking at blackness, reverse on blackness, and the and the saber comes on. Yeah. So. And those those weren't necessarily conscious decisions either. We didn't say, ah, we have to copy that shot to do this in, in here. It yeah. was like we've got we've got guys, re- rebels, with guns pointed. Like <laughs> what do they look like? They look like the dudes in the New Hope. Like it, yeah, yeah. It, it, it's like we subconsciously um,
0: self-referenced I guess that's the and other the other side of that thing, like getting influenced by Deacon's work with the thirty two mil throwing yep. you off there. Immersing yourself in the relevant stuff can just subconsciously draw you towards the the right answers. It
1: fully, it fully 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 does,
0: and you know I
1: think that's the that's exactly right. That's why I I found it hard to to watch other movies when I've been making a movie because. Yeah, I mean, I love when I'm what, between films and I'm and I'm discovering a language. Then yes, definitely yeah. trying to discover yeah. what that language is. But once you know what the language is, to to yeah, you don't want to throw yourself
0: off too much. So. One of the other things that uh, you did with Rogue One, which fascinated me when, when I read about it, and even more so when I saw the film, was Ari had brought out the Alexa 65 and you know, their, their whole you know, premise of bringing out that camera was that this was going to be something that would be used alongside the Alexa as, yep. as a, a camera for scenic work and visual effects. Um, kind of yep. like a, a VistaVision camera, um, was used in the the 80s and 90s. And yet you decided to make that the main camera for this film. And I, I don't know if anybody else had done that before. No, uh, it
1: was a hugely radical step because when Ari spoke to me about um, that this camera that they'd built, yep. they said exactly what you just said. Ah, oh, it's the plate work, second unit. It was uh, never intended to be in a, a camera. No, 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 never. And I, I said to them, I, I hate to be the bearer of bad news boys (laughs) but i think you're wrong and that's you know i think i use a few expletives as well this is (laughs) bullshit and like i said i I, I have to use it for a unit camera i said how do i do that well it doesn't go up to 60 frames just 24 or whatever the limitations were at that point the data is this that and that told me all the reasons why it wouldn't work yep Um, and again i love ari because are they 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 have high, high bar that they try and strike, and they, they, the they, for the most part, they always hit the mark. What they were basically not setting themselves up for was failure by, by coming out with a main production camera. Yeah. And, you know, all of the, the, the drives and the media and lensing was the main thing they, they didn't quite have together at that point, and yep. they introduced a set of lenses, which was great, but they weren't really lenses that I felt felt like I could use um, on a production because they weren't stylistically what how I felt they should be. With Panavision, Panavision had just rejigged. Um, they were working. Luckily, and this is part of the, the benefit of doing something like Rogue. I had such a long lead time on Rogue. Yeah. Um, I think I was hired like a year before. Um, wow. Before we went into production, uh, I didn't have a year of pre, but I was doing lot Lion and you know other things. And but
0: you could be at asking questions point, and having conversations.
1: Well, at that point, I, I was you know in and out of Panavision, and I and I and Bob Richardson was about to start shooting Hateful Eight. Um, ah, right. On these these beautiful ultra Vista lenses. Yep. And so I did a, i did a, a little test with those lenses um, on a film camera. Yeah. This is when we're doing film tests. Like we were, yeah. You know, we 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 did, we got into the Millennium Falcon because I think Force Awakens are just wrapped and, like we were on the on the Millennium Falcon shooting film versus digital, wow. um, large format versus small format. Like you know all these all that the myriad of tests process. that we did. Oh, dude! It was in the Millennium Falcon. I mean, what, do you, what do you think? I like? oh, yeah, was on the Millennium Falcon. I mean, it was Check a pretty great. Done that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but then I also did this little test with these lenses, and they were they were a bit chunky and stuff. And I realised that they could, after they'd finished 8-4-8, they could modify them to fit on the Alexa sixty-five. I I, I pitched that to to Kathy uh, Kennedy, who's the head of Lucasfilm. Yep. And I said, "Here's Here's what I shot on film. Here's what I shot on digital. Um, I showed her the Alexa 65, but I showed her with, I think I had a, a Pets file lens, a Kickstarter Pets yep. file lens and a 50, 50mm Nikon 1.2. And I showed her what the, what the camera could do. And it was pretty, pretty impressive. And wow. um, she agreed to let us do that. Panavision agreed to let us put those lenses on the camera. And and we ended up, and they were beautiful lenses. But, but the funny thing was the data, because... Company called Pinewood Post was doing our dailies. Yep. We had said to them, we're still deciding what format. And we had a meeting and they said, Okay, so what how much of the show are you going to shoot on Alexa 65? And how much are you going to shoot on regular 65 a regular Alexa? Yep. And I said, Well, I guess the bad news, I'm not shooting anything on the regular Alexa. It's everything's <laughs> in the Alexa 65. And they they all just went white. They just just the color drained from their face because yeah, they realized. Yeah the amount of data that was going to be coming through their facility. was
0: just unprecedented.
1: It was unprecedented. And I, I, I'm positive they were not convinced they could handle it. Yep. Um, but They were but, probably but the not convinced that this, anyone could handle it. No, no, exactly, exactly. But the flip side of that story is that by the time we finished Rogue One yep. uh, in, in December of... 2015, the, the first round of shooting, there was four shows going. I think Adam was shooting Assassin's Creed on it. Yep. They were shooting Doctor Strange on it. It wow. was like four shows. Wow. So they were doing four shows on the X-65 when they were not even convinced they could do one that wow. eight
0: months earlier. That's how fast um, it changed.
1: Yeah, and also how how good they were, I will say that I'll give them credit because wow. they they, t- they turned on a dime and they, were very, they
0: evolved their processes and – the, the other thing about the the look obviously there's a huge amount of the look is from that camera and then those those lenses on top of that okay but there's, there's this great kind of organic optical quality all this stuff that we we hope for from the, that kind of vintage of lenses there's also there's a, a wonderful color palette to it which obviously a lot of that comes from the the design, but I'm wondering how much of that was in added in the grade or controlled with a LUT, and how involved you were with that process.
1: Um, a little bit, a little bit, well, a lot involved, obviously. Um, the the LUT was something that that ILM had built off um, uh, a bit of film stock. Uh, the, the, the the way we got this LUT was kind of quite fun because um, there's an Australian Australian um, studying film at New York University. Yeah or NYU or wherever he was, I, we had donated some film to him after Fosscatcher yep. and some of the short ends. And it was 5230, my favorite 500T stock. And they were discontinuing the stock and we, we donated a lot of film to him. And when ILM, I was talking to ILM, they said, listen, if you've got any film you wanted to create a lot out of, just let us know. And I was like, oh, my favorite film is, is it's discontinued. There's none left. <laughs> and I emailed this film student and said, dude, do you have any left? And he went, oh, I'll check in the fridge. In the bottom of his <laughs> fridge, he found a little bit of this film, sent it to San Francisco. They created a lot out of it, and and we created a lot out of my favourite film stock. So that was a, a massive bonus. That, that goes to show you the karma yeah, yeah. thing, what goes around, comes around. Had, had I not pushed <laughs> him to get that film stock, and that took effort for me to – to, to, to talk production into giving it away, and not selling wow. it, and yeah. blah blah blah. But then it came full circle where I suddenly got the film back. In so it's it, it, I don't know that's a, it's a karmic karmic thing, but part of it's stuff. Like, but also too, a lot of it I would say is lighting yeah. because that was an opportunity. That show was predominantly
0: RGB LEDs, and which again was you know it, it's it's normal now already. But at that point in time, it was still fairly radical to go primarily RGB.
1: Yes, it was, because there wasn't the amount of lights around. The sky panel had just been released. Yep. Um, and I won't delve too deeply into that. I don't tend to use the sky panel that much, but the, 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 cre- the cream source um, skies and the digital Sputniks I tested because I had extensive testing, Yep. Um, just dealt with skin tones so beautifully. And the thing is that, it's my understanding of the way film stock evolved. Film stock evolved to make the best out of the lights, which were tungsten lights, yeah. right? And so the lights came first. The tungsten lights existed before the film stock existed. Yeah. So film stock was moulded around tungsten film. Mm. Now, digital cameras came out. Digital sensors were not moulded around tungsten lights. They were just what they were. So yeah. interesting. It, it, I don't feel, and again, I'm happy to debate this with anyone because different DPs have different opinions, but I don't feel that tungsten on digital looks as good as tungsten on film.
0: No, it does. It registers slightly differently, doesn't it? It
1: does. It doesn't quite have the depth, the colour depth. Um, And so it took something to change, and that thing was lights that were designed for the sensor to come into play. To, to be to fully maximise the the, the colour depth of that sensor. So I feel like with those RGB LEDs, mm. I finally had the colour depth in
0: digital that I was always um, always craving. I'd never thought about it like that. That's um, that joins a couple of dots.
1: It, it was a, it, a, luckily again it, it was all the right timing because I had time on Rogue One to do all the testing. Yeah. Um, yeah that I needed to do and, and I was managing to test different skin tones with different lights. And, and unfortunately being on a, a show, the size of Star Wars meant that, you know, I had a little bit of sway with people, uh, like people producing stuff and you, you weren't know, just with in the back of the truck. No, exactly right. And I had, we had time, you know, as well to, to, to put this into action because the film industry exists, um, Effectively with stuff that already exists, you know? Yep. Because exactly like no, we're shooting in four weeks. We can't build a new camera, we can't build lenses, <laughs> we can't build lights.
0: Except on those those rare things that are on that kind of that Star Wars sort of scale.
1: Yeah, with time yep. and with uh exactly resources
0: and with with the, the name. I mean Star Wars like yep. Star Wars. people yeah, yeah. will jump over you will over give their grandma to call them to talk about stuff. Star Wars shooting Star Wars film. Yeah. So you, you did Rogue One, amazingly successful both creatively and at the box office. Uh, after hesitating to go into that Star Wars world and, and potentially break the magic of that, that childhood experience, mm. you did that, it all worked, you you ticked the box on your Star Wars experience. How did you end up going back into that world again?
1: You know, with, with cinematography there's a lot of aspects in in with shooting a movie or shooting being a cinematographer, it's not yep. just telling a story with pictures. But, but there's a lot of things that I get out of the job, yep. and, and part mm. of that is um, pushing the boundaries of technology to make things easier for a director and actor to work together. I'm all about refining the process of filmmaking. You know, the filmmaking is a intrinsically tough thing, and if you can refine it and, and uh, make it um, make it easier. Then you, your what's important is easier. Does that make sense? Like, totally. if, if what's important being the actor and the and the director together is it's a better story and easier.
0: Yeah, you know, it's engaging the audience in the story and taking them into the world and letting yeah. the actors and directors tell that story.
1: Since being a a, a young filmmaker in Australia, where you know the, some of the smallest shoots I did were three of us, me, the director, and a, and a focus puller, Yep. to the point where then you've got 400 people on set and flying aeroplanes to countries <laughs> the jam full of equipment. Yep. And you go, well, okay, there's got to be somewhere in between this that's actually correct. And one of the things about that I love about Lucasfilm is that they are progressive mm. and they are trying to do exactly what I was just talking about. They're trying to... Uh. They're not to, they're not using technology for the sake of it. That's not the tail wagging the dog, but creative yeah. is always the foremost uh thing that they've got in them in on their on their plate. But but they realize that with all these new things coming out, with all these new uh, bits of technology and digital and lighting and this, that there is there is ways to make the process better and different, you know? Yeah. Um, so on Rogue One, we were um, we shot a lot of the interior cockpit stuff with a with a big LED volume. So I don't know if you've seen any pictures of it, but we built a I don't know it was like a sixty-five foot wide uh, horseshoe with a Amazing. lid to to create a like a, a, um, an LED world. Yep. And that was a bit of a step forward beyond sort of what had happened in the past. I think I think. Um, uh, Emmanuel Labesci used LEDs on Gravity, um, yep. but they to were a smaller effect. scale because they were yep. just sort of lighting active space. Yep,
0: creating reflections. We were
1: talking about actually, yeah, we were talking about lighting more than that. We're talking about lighting spaceships.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, uh,
1: so yeah, basically from that point, ILM asked the question and said, well, can we, can we not use this technology to light drama? You know, how do we do that? What do we do? And, What are the limitations? Um, And so, when we were doing Rogue One, we we also did some tests, some putting Stormtroopers in front of it, and putting a background of the exterior of the studio. And we did some tests to see how far we could push the technology. And you know, aesthetically, effectively, I was there all every step of the way, saying, "I think this will work. I don't think that will work. I think I'm not sure about this. Let's do a test." So. I was kind of um, at that beautiful um, point creatively, but also technically where I was able to have an opinion. I was able to give them my opinion and and guide that side Mm. of things from a practical standpoint. And when Mandalorian came up, it was a bit of a, all these technologies had finally sort of come together. There was the, in-camera motion tracking, yep. there was which has been around for a while, but it was being used specifically it really for this purpose. Yep, um, there was the real-time gaming engine yep. from Epic. That was the the, the the. All these things were kind of all convalescing at the same at the same rate, mm. and it was ILM who effectively went, "Well, we think we can do this, this, and this, and I think it will give you good results." And thankfully, we had a, a direct, uh, showrunner like John Favreau who was willing to take a bit of a leap on that. It yeah, was a bit of a yeah. gamble. It was a massive gamble because that was Definitely. an entire series that was basing its technique on, on, on a, on a
0: technology that had never been used before. Yeah. And that's a lot of money at stake. <laughs> it's a lot of money. And for any mm-hmm. show, but particularly something on that kind of scale.
1: To- totally. And when, so when, when that came up, you know, I, I, I met with all the players, and you know, and it it was—it's a challenge. It scared me, frankly. It really scared me, (laughs) and I think that's a huge part of the reason why I take jobs. If it scares—if it scares me, it's
0: worth doing. I'm terrified. Well, you know, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. It was interesting for me uh, because I I watched all eight episodes uh, with my kids at home, with no idea at that stage the LED volume had been used. Anything like the extent that you used it, I had no idea that so much of Good. it was backgrounds that were being being generated onto this this LED screen.
1: Good, that's that's uh, you know I think that's success because you never want an audience to be uh, to be m- knowingly watching the technique because yeah. that's yeah. you've you've failed as filmmakers. You know, like we want suspension of disbelief, we want the audiences to enjoy the drama and the highlights and the lowlights and yeah. the characters and the this and the that. And we wanted, we want those seams to be seamless. And it was a, it was a big step because nobody really knew what would work visually and what wouldn't work visually. And I say no yeah, one really man. knew. I mean, listen, I, I, at that point I had the, the most experience of anyone on the planet. Cause I'd shot more on the big LED screens than anybody. Mm. And, um, the tests and, but still I was like, like, I'm not sure New if this territory. is 100% going to work.
0: Uncharted yeah. world. Um,
1: So I, I just used my instinct about what I knew, like, for example, like direct sun would never work, you know, because yeah. you can never get LEDs bright enough and the, and the, the background to foreground would, wouldn't be right and wow. the fill wouldn't be right and it would just would look wrong. And so, you know, I actively pushed for um, anything that involved sun Yep. to be on the back lot with real sun. Yeah, um, yeah, right. You know, we did a few tests in full sun yep. and realised that it didn't work. So we, we, we quickly made sure we we, we hit, hit it out of the park in that the first few loads that we did, we categorically knew were going to work well. Yeah. So like Werner Herzog's office, I think, was one of the first um, one of the first loads that we put out there. Wow. Wow. And we knew that it was going to work because we'd, we'd done a test in, um, uh, in in a few months prior uh, that that some, the, the ILM guys had done a scan of the office up in San Francisco and it had worked really well. So we basically wow. Im, imitated that, and so it did, it and it worked really well. You know, we, we, we shot a. We, they they photographed a warehouse in downtown Los Angeles. Yeah. Um, and the guys, uh, 3D guys, changed the windows to Star Wars shapes, and wow. they um, made a few changes here and there. And yeah, and
0: there it was. It was the um, it was suddenly a Star Wars universe. So, yeah. So what did that do a- for the for the working process? being able to work uh in that way work in that environment
1: it opened up a lot of um uh, a lot of possibilities um because you could choose to light a scene however you wanted you had full control when you were lighting a scene and like that that scene's one where okay the the light coming through the windows was what it was and you know yeah. It wasn't so much that, but when you were doing sunset scenes or you are doing dusk scenes, um, you you could choose where the sun was or where the sun was setting or if the (laughs) shot looks into a a, a dropping orb. Um, You know, like it was a – you have full control,
0: basically. Shooting a scene, the setting sun, to have complete control of that and to be able to not be, okay, we've got to get this done in the next three minutes or we're going to lose the light. It's it's an amazing thing. Does that then feed back into that that whole concept of knowing when to pull back and make it less perfect?
1: It does. It does, and that's a big part of it because you've got to make it a bit more analog. And this is a good conversation that I had with John about this because John had just he was just finishing up The Lion King. Yep, amazing. Effectively, he could have created any lighting setup he wanted to. Yeah, Caleb, and they deliberately at times chose pretty ugly lighting and. And stuff that was a bit more analog because the whole thing's digital. So we there were times where, you know, I, I actively pushed and we actively pushed to shoot some scenes on the back lot in the middle of the day, because real filmmaking doesn't happen unless you're Terence Malick doesn't happen at dawn and dusk. Yeah. Like real filmmaking, you, you arrive at set, you do a, maybe a dawn scene and an early you do your wide early, and then as you shoot your close you up,
0: something in the middle of the day. <laughs>
1: That's right. You, you like it's higher, and you you backlight it, but still higher light. And and as the as the sun goes down, you do a small, you know, quarter page scene at the end of the day, at magic hour, and that's kind of the makeup of, of films. Yeah. Now we can tweak that 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 um, algorithm a little bit by putting a bit more beautiful light in there, which is if you watch chapter two, for example. Yep. Um, there's some really beautiful light scenes in there. Like we, we, we did some nice dusky stuff and um, some nice, late dusk duster. So there is some really nice times in there, probably a little more than normal, but but I don't think it's on the nose. I think there's enough no. going on in Chapter 2 where there's enough pretty light stuff and there's enough middle-of-the-day stuff, like he's in a canyon at the beginning, It's yeah. middle of the day, and then he's he's fixing his armour at the end of the day. Uh, and there's a bit of a scene with the with the child, and the, you're like it, to try and find that balance is a, it
0: was a big part of finding the look of Mandalorian, and a very successful one. Um, the other interesting thing about the Mandalorian is after doing Rogue One on the Alexa 65, the uh, Mandalorian was done on the Alexa LF. It was, yep. How was that different, and how was it similar?
1: Um, well, we chose the LF because we we wanted a larger format, so the focus would fall off faster.
0: Yep because,
1: um, again, we're playing with a screen that might be 20 foot behind someone's head yeah. but but needed to look like it was, the content was 1,000 feet behind their head yeah, yeah. so the faster the focus fell off the more successful we were going to be and also we weren't going to get more aid, which was a, initially a, a concern that we were, we were going to have because yeah. more is very hard to get rid of um, yeah, around yeah. people's heads to, for the visual effects guys so we wanted to use the largest format we could. Now Panavision had just built this set of ultra-vista lenses, which was built 1.65 times squeeze. It was built specifically for the LF right. sensor.
0: Yep. So
1: like if, if you put all the um, pixels together, I think it was a bit of a wash of using a 1.3 times squeeze on an Alexa 65, which you had to crop left and right, yep. or using a 1.65 times squeeze, which maybe had a bit more. Anamorphic quality to it on a full sensor, on a full LF sensor, oh. um, which gave them two for it. So it was a – I think it was a bit of a wash
0: uh, which camera to use. Yeah, yeah. And I guess with the, the LF, there's a lot of that kind of functional stuff. You know, the camera's that little bit – bit smaller and a little bit lighter and the data rate's that little bit lower and it just. So. Exactly. Yeah, there
1: was a little bit of that. And the mini, when we did that, the mini wasn't quite out. The mini AF wasn't quite yeah. out. Yeah. So, um, it was a slightly smaller camera. And yes. Uh, which helps anybody doing handheld a little bit. Yeah, um, yeah. and so, probably
0: yeah. stuff that, you know, over, over the duration of, uh, you know, an eight part series, I imagine, comes into play a little bit more than even on a big feature.
1: Yeah, I think there's also... I think Alexa 65, I think, requires a vault, and I I don't think the LF does. There's a few bit of... It's
0: just that little stuff that all adds up. up. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Now, uh, you also uh, ended up with a producing credit on The Mandalorian. How did that come about?
1: It, It goes back to the idea that virtual cinematography and that show in particular... Yep. isn't a traditional wasn't a traditional show you know cinematographers kind of know what they do even on even on shows like like animated shows cinematographers have a pretty defined um brief yep and that's kind of what we do and that's how we get yeah, our yeah. cinematography credit by by doing these things this this was a this was throwing the the process out. And starting again, this was educating computer, 3D computer guys about lighting, about texturing, about the effects of a bounce in the back of someone's head, and
0: because I guess you were you were building lighting into environments that didn't exist. Nice. Um, you were starting, you're totally starting from scratch. Yeah.
1: So there was there was that element of things, but there's also the process too. Like let's say to build a load takes seven weeks. Yeah. Now you've got to light the load. And the load gets baked. So you can't change the quality of the lighting in the load on yeah. the day. So you've got to bake the lighting in. So you've got to know that it's the right time
0: of day, that you're looking in the right direction. So it's a, so you've got total control, but it's not an interactive process.
1: It's total control, but you, it's like saying, well, we're going to stop the day at 4.43, yeah. and that you're going to have that day for the whole day. Yeah, you're like, yeah. oh, that's exciting for one angle. Yep. But what happens when you want to do the reverse <laughs> angle? Like the lighting's not yeah, good. The reverse yeah. angle, you would have done at 9.43 in the morning. Yeah. But now you can't because you've only got one direction. So and if you haven't thought you've about got that, to that work in advance. Totally. So, so, so the process of, of going through and figuring it out oh. with the director, going to yeah. loc- a, a virtual location scout, yep. um, the process was very much a learning process for everybody to try and develop a new normal. Yep. And – also, just to develop it creatively because it, 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 it's not a traditionally, it, it's not what a DP comes in and does. The design of the volume, the shape of the volume and the height of the volume and the width of the volume and the, and the type of LED panels that one uses was all very much a above the, the level of a, of a DP. You know, it's yeah. very much a, uh, a producerial kind of work, making sure that, that things are set up in the right way so mm. that, that the series can carry on. So it was exciting for that reason too. You know, it was a, it was a, it was a new thing. I was learning every day. I was m- more stressed than I have been in a long time on that job. And because if it didn't work, it was, a lot of it was on me and yeah, John yeah. and ILM. Like
0: if it failed, it would have failed. Spectacularly. Spectacularly. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. yeah, yeah. You also uh, ended up sharing the the director of photography credits on the series. Uh, How did that come about?
1: Again, this is where it's a brave new world and and, and credits don't necessarily reflect the work that's been done. Yeah. So Baz, Idowan, who has been working with me, worked on Rogue, the second unit on Rogue, with me, the second unit on Vice, like he's been with, Mm. we've been working together for quite a while. Yeah. You know, throughout the process of, The technical side of things and trying to work out the best way to to light these loads and how they look and technically the best thing to do yeah he was very um instrumental in he was often on the floor like even though i'm credited with episode one and three and half of seven yeah he, he was on the floor a lot on episodes one and three and i was off lighting loads for him for episodes two and five and eight and, yep. you know, so and there were things that, then, that I yeah. was doing for his episodes that were yep. instrumental to his episodes mm. whilst he was doing things on my episodes that were e- instrumental to my episodes. Yeah. So the credit thing, it's a, I don't know, it's a little bit antiquated and I don't think it reflects the work. Yep. Um, Just go We have to a dual up, credit on seven yep. and that is simply because I left halfway through the shoot on seven. I was always due to leave to, to prep June. Yep. Um, and, and that's when I left halfway through seven. So it's, but I, I don't see episodes one and three as being my episodes. Like
0: yeah, yeah.
1: he did a lot of work on those. And, yep. and conversely, like, I, I think other episodes that, that, that I helped set up for him, I kind of feel like we also did that together, even though yeah. I physically may not have been there. Mm. Um, so it's a, it's a it's an interesting world. It's like what we know about cinematography is
0: is turned on its head a bit. It's almost like the, the the whole of a series is a is a collaboration rather than necessarily having to be kind of divided up by episodes the way it, it traditionally has been. Yeah. Now the the project that you you had to, to go to work on was was Dune I believe. Yes, correct. What was that like? That's great. I mean, what do you, what do you think? I'm, I'm working in the beautiful
1: <laughs> desert with one of the finest directors in the world with one of the best casts ever assembled for a movie. Like, yeah, it was pretty good. <laughs>
0: it was. <laughs> so I guess that's part flippant. of why you had to go. Sound, <laughs>
1: go. I hate to sound flippant because it's like, yeah, yeah, it's just one of the best casts ever assembled for a movie and one of the directors. Yeah, yeah. I know, dude, it was amazing. It, I can't. I can't. Um, I can't sound more effusive because you know I I had my crew on it who I love dearly my English crew who I love dearly I had um, to work with some fantastic actors who I who I loved before that but I even love even more now yeah and Denis who was who's a master and a mm. sweetheart of a man so it was a it was a it was a beautiful experience and fun and you know there's 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 images coming out now. That have been released that are kind of reliving memories for me, and you know, it's it's a uh, it was fantastic. I can't I can't say much more than that, obviously, because of um, for obvious reasons. But yeah, yeah, and you know, I don't want to. It, it wasn't it wasn't two dimensional either. There were times, of course, it was tough and challenging, and you know, shooting in Hungary was was ultimately fantastic, but at times challenging. Yeah, it was a. It was definitely a three-dimensional experience, but ultimately being positive.
0: That collaboration with with actors I think is uh, it can be one of the the, the most satisfying parts of, of our job and it's it's kind of easy to overlook. You know, We, we get so caught up in, in cameras and lights and lenses and all that but the, in the actual process of, of making something, I think it's when things are really working well, that collaboration with the actors and with the director is, is such a big part of it and such a satisfying part of it, don't you think?
1: Oh, it's completely, especially when you've allowed that to happen yeah. through your... Um, Um, expertise through your lack of lighting or your lighting or your whatever it is that you have contributed to make that happen to allow that to happen in a conducive way you've set up a great um, you've set up a great tone on set because your crew is respectful and nice and quiet and hard working and like whatever those those things are that have allowed those little bits of magic to occur on screen it's very rewarding and and to to be to bear witness to that to be the the person who's the, often the closest to that as an operator yeah um that's you know in the film days that was staring straight at that it's not through film you're staring yeah. straight at that performance through yeah. the through the eyepiece or, or with, with your eyes like it is overlooked i think it's an overlooked positive thing and uh i don't, I don't it doesn't certainly doesn't get lost on me where you know if i'm standing in front of a an actor uh who's who's delivering a performance that is just World class. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's it's
0: nothing. There's nothing better. It's it's one of the great privileges of the job, isn't it? Yeah, we're at a very very strange place in in history right now with all the stuff that's going on in the world. How's that been uh, affecting you, and how how are you coping with that?
1: You know, it's sort of battling. We've got you know three children here in Los yeah. Angeles that we're homeschooling, and <laughs> that's been the biggest. That's been the biggest thing. So you go from being a a, a dp with lots of support and and people yeah. around you to, to help realize your dreams and goals yep. to to nobody except to yourselves your partner and yourself to be responsible for the education and welfare of your children it's, it's, full, like on, it? not, it's <laughs> full on isn't it definitely not it's full on and I'm certainly not qualified i mean <laughs> i'd much prefer to be put into a into a massive night lighting scene with thousands of extras and 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 and, and, and you know um, People that are all annoyed with each other uh, yeah. than would be at homeschool. <laughs> Homeschooling is tough. And I, my hat goes off to all my past teachers. Yeah,
0: if yeah. anyone's
1: listening right now, I will give them credit I don't think that any I probably of us, never gave
0: them before. Yeah, I don't think any of us will think about teachers the same way again after this experience.
1: Dude, I got to say, I, 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 we need to start paying teachers better and yeah. because they are absolutely, they make or break listen, i mean this is a realization that a lot of smart people probably had well before i did <laughs> um, and i should have had to so my mother's a teacher or I used to be a teacher yeah. but they have make or break children's confidence yeah. and, and
0: it it can can we're, if we're
1: un- way. undervaluing that 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 teacher through through emotional or through financial means if we're undervaluing those teachers man like yeah. That's, a, that's, a, that's a travesty and that's a massive oversight for society. So, yeah, yeah. I don't
0: know. Yeah, we Definitely. should be. Well, it's been fantastic getting to chat about all, all of that stuff. Likewise, man. Uh, it must be nearly dinner time there in L.A., and it's nearly lunchtime here in Sydney, so.
1: Yes, yeah, so I've got some very, I've got some very hungry children
0: um, showing me their sad expressions. <laughs> so I guess you and I better both uh, go and deal with that. Look forward to to seeing June when it um, finally hits the cinema screens.
1: Yeah, yeah, and you know what? The good thing about that when it happens is I can I'll be able to talk about it then. So that'll
0: be great. To be Fantastic. To do that. Well, maybe we can have a, another chat about it then. Indeed, let's book it in. Thanks, Ben. Thanks for stopping in. Pleasure, mate. Talk to you later on.